0: O come, O come, Emmanuel
1: A close reading of Luke's birth narrative reveals a surprising revelation for many Gentiles and our Jewish friends.
0: ransom, captive Israel
1: Christmas is a profoundly Jewish story. The birth narrative is set within the Promised Land, the ancient homeland of the Jewish people and epicenter of Jewish history.
0: God in lonely exile here Until the Son of God appears.
1: The gospel, first proclaimed to Abraham shortly after his arrival to the Promised Land, found its fulfillment in the same land. God did not choose the setting of the Christmas narrative to be in Iraq, Peru, England, or the United States. By divine decree, God chose the special land that he swore as an internal inheritance to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants.
0: Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come to thee, o Israel.
1: This geographic setting for the Messiah's arrival was and remains the principal turf of world Jewry. Today, Wes Tabor joins us as we explore the Jewish essence of the Christmas story as told through Luke.
0: Oh, come thou dayspring, come and cheer. Our spirits, by thine advent here, disperse the gloomy clouds of night, in death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. I'll come to the O is Israel you are listening to the toE podcast.
1: Well, welcome back to the Tove podcast. I am here with our Life in Messiah volunteers today as we are doing a live audience recording. Give a clap and a cheer for yourselves again. And I'm also joined again by returning guest and Life in Messiah's global ambassador, Wes Tabor. Wes, welcome back to the Tove podcast. Thanks, Levi. Uh, For those who may not know, Wes also serves on the board of the Kaspari Center. Kaspari Center is an evangelical resource and education center for training, discipleship, and academic research and study. Messianic Jews and Gentile Christians work together to strengthen and support the movement of Jewish believers in Jesus. Wes, don't you just love this time of year? It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) What is it that you especially like about this time of year?
2: Well, when I was a kid, it was all about snowflakes and Christmas trees and presents under the tree especially. But I would say as an adult, uh, one of the great joys that I have is seeing the connection of uh, the Christmas carols. Um, You know, so much commercialization, you're walking through the mall and you hear Frosty the Snowman and Jingle Bells and some of the secular songs, but you also hear interspersed some of the good old Christmas carols, and I especially love O Come, O Come, Mm, and Ransom, Captive Israel. Every time I hear that, it uh, really tugs at my heart.
1: Yeah. I think I remember reading somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, because apparently it's your favorite Christmas song, (laughs) (laughs) that that song was written with an eye to his return, not necessarily his first advent, although that's primarily what it's known as, because we sing O Come, O come, Emmanuel this time of year. But is that right? The author wrote it for his second coming in Ransoming Israel.
2: Sure, because it's ransom captive Israel. It's the idea of his second return and coming in glory, right? The, the Davidic king who's going to rule and reign. Um, so, yes, I think this is another one of those songs that has dual application. Mm,
1: wonderful. I love that. Most of us are making preparations to celebrate the arrival of Messiah. We're going to be spending time with family, eating good food, etc. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are even preparing to travel this holiday season. Today, I want to explore Luke's account of the birth narrative with an eye to the historical background. Specifically, I want to walk through Luke's narrative and highlight the obvious Jewish setting and characters from his account. So, Wes, let's start by examining the physical setting. Of the messiah's arrival according to the prophet micah messiah was foreordained to be born in bethlehem ephratah of judea bethlehem means what wes house of bread house of bread and bethlehem was located in the heart of the jewish nation though small it was the hometown of popular faith-filled figures for example
2: well the story of uh bethlehem really starts with boaz You know the story of Ruth when she comes back with her mother in law Naomi? Yes. And they settle in Bethlehem. Mm. So that's when uh, we really get a story about Bethlehem that matters for Messiah's lineage.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they were part of his lineage. So you have Boaz, and then of course you have Jesse, and then King
2: David. Right. All from a very small town. In Israel, That's right. Five, six miles south of Jerusalem is where we're talking.
1: Yeah. And now today's modern day Bethlehem is in Judea and Samaria. And um, you actually, it's a little bit difficult to access, but it, it is accessible, especially around this time of year. There's a Church of the Nativity there and so forth.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's still a big tourist draw for uh, Christmas Eve, particularly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In Luke chapter two, verse 11... We see the announcement, today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. Now, I find that interesting that Bethlehem is referred to as the city of David. I think we know why David was there. But there's another city that's referred to as the city of David too, and so it
2: could be confusing for readers at times. What city is that, West? Well, Jerusalem was the capital city, so yeah. the city of the great king is... Is Jerusalem. Yeah.
1: In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can visit Ir David, which is City of David, and it's a very small uh, sectioned out piece right on the slopes of modern day Jerusalem. And we think that is where David's palace was. And we think that was the center of David's Jerusalem. So both Bethlehem and Jerusalem can really lay claim to City of David, which is interesting. Now, on several occasions, we see the gospel writers, not just Luke, connecting the Messiah's arrival with King David. What's the significance of this? And, you know, why are the gospel writers doing this?
2: Well, I mean, David is the one who captured, it was the city of Jebus when uh, David captured it and set it up as his throne. But I think the reason it's significant is because of the covenant that God made with with David. David wasn't Israel's first king. Saul was the first king, but uh, Saul didn't have a heart for God, and so God rejected Saul, and he chose David. Da- the reason that David got to be king wasn't because he was the firstborn of Jesse. He was the youngest son out in the, in the fields, right, watching, right. <laughs> watching over the sheep by day, it would appear. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is uh, God selects David to be the king of Israel, and not just the next king, but the dynastic king. Because in second Samuel chapter 7 is where God makes the promise to David that he would not lack a son to sit on his throne.
1: That's right. In fact, if you're interested in learning more about that promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, uh, two episodes ago, we did a deep dive into the Davidic covenant and explored what exactly that means. Arnold Fruchtenbaum uh, adds this insight. He says, quote, Giving Jesus the title of the son of David, points to his kingship, since the kingship of the Jews was sustained through the house of David, end quote. Now, as king of the Jewish people, Jesus stands as the epitome and standard bearer for his people. If we follow the king of the Jews, shouldn't it rightly follow that we respect and love the Jewish people themselves, Wes?
2: One of the greatest non-sequiturs is, Oh, I love Jesus, but I hate the Jews. I mean, if there ever was something that doesn't follow, it's to say, I love the Jewish Messiah, but I don't love his people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any place for that, uh, especially in a a biblical viewpoint. Uh, Now, let's move on to some of the characters. Beyond the physical setting of the birth narrative, Luke's inspired account is replete with Jewish vignettes. One of the first people we come across is a Jewish priest. Luke writes about a, quote, Jewish priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. This is in Luke 1.5. Zechariah, whose Hebrew name means the Lord remembers, served in the very locus of religious life, the temple. The fact that he had a priestly function indicates he was of the tribe of Levi. While burning incense in the temple, Zechariah received a vision about his future son. John the Baptist. John was to be born a Jewish forerunner to a Jewish king. In fact, Luke chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, provides a sort of job description for John the Baptist. You mind reading that for us,
2: Wes? Sure. So this is uh, end of verse 14. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, and there's nobody else about whom that is recorded. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, Mm. and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah Mm. to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Essentially, John was
1: sent to the Jewish people to prepare them for the king's arrival. Now, in in my studies over the years, sometimes I've been confused about who John the Baptist was. Was John the Baptist Elijah the prophet? Well, it appears no. Even though Jesus says at one point, John the Baptist is Elijah the prophet, if you'll accept it, if you'll receive it. But in another occasion, people come to John and they say, are you Elijah? And he says no. So what are we to make of this?
2: Well, for sure, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. Right. There are people who believe in reincarnation. Even among some of the Jewish people, there are people who believe in reincarnation. But it's not what the Bible teaches. So John comes in the spirit and the power of mm. Elijah. Which, comes, which we
1: just read there in the, uh, in the passage. that right. you,
2: yeah. So he comes as the forerunner. And actually, the passage in Malachi chapter 4 talks about Elijah being sent yeah. before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So that's one of the reasons why many believe that Elijah is one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Yes. Uh, but John did have the forerunner role. He came mm-hmm. to make way or uh, make straight the way of the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, he comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And you see that when people are drawn to him down by the Jordan River and he's powerfully preaching and many are baptized. Yeah. A yeah. Baptism of repentance. Yeah, that's right.
1: Another reason why we a lot of people think that Elijah is one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation is because he did not die a human death. He was taken up into the clouds by the chariots and horsemen of Israel, which is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, his death is not recorded. Uh, he was translated into heaven. And because of that line of thinking, others think that maybe Enoch is the other witness because the scripture says in genesis that he was not for the lord took him mm, yeah
1: yeah absolutely and, and plus we know from the passage you mentioned that elijah must be sent before the great and terrible day of the lord which is a reference to the tribulation period and so we certainly expect to see elijah again on this earth i don't think we'll be here for that but certainly he will be seen again among people Before we continue on, West, we're going to take a quick break on the Tove podcast. When we come back, we're not only going to finish our conversation about John the Baptist and his mom, but we'll take a look at Jesus' mother as well. We'll be right back on the Tove podcast. Since 1887, life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to his people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Okay, welcome back to the Tove Podcast. Uh, Again, we are doing a live recording today with Life and Messiah's wonderfully gracious volunteers. You know, we are so grateful for our volunteers at Life and Messiah, who give of their time, energy, and resources to further God's work among the Jewish people. And uh, again, we've invited them to join us today as we have this important discussion about the Jewish essence of Christmas. Well, Wes, we just finished talking about how John was not Elijah reincarnated or Elijah in person or anything, but rather John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He had a similar ministry to Elijah, and he was sent as a forerunner to the Jewish Messiah. You know, Zechariah was informed by the angel that his son would possess the same spirit and power of Elijah, who was one of the most foremost Of the Hebrew prophets. In fact, oftentimes people say that Elijah stands as the head of the major prophets of Israel. Upon hearing the miraculous news, I find it very fascinating that Zechariah connects this news to God's promises to Abraham and his descendants. Zechariah praises, quote, the God of Israel, and rejoices that this fulfillment stems from the holy prophets and the covenants with David and Abraham. You see Zechariah clearly believed that the unfolding events of the Christmas story were related to God's covenant promises to Israel. The time arrived for Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, to give birth. Luke records, quote, they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day. Circumcision on the eighth day was And remains a uniquely Jewish custom. You know, a lot of people perform some kind of a custom of uh, circumcision, including the Muslims, and just a lot of people practice circumcision. But it is uniquely Jewish to circumcise on the eighth day. And that's exactly what we see here is this very unique Jewish custom taking place.
2: Yeah, which goes all the way back to the days of Abraham. God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17. Mm. So we often think about the law, the Torah, that Moses received at Mount Sinai. And, of course, circumcision is included in the commands of God at Mount Sinai. Yeah. But the rite of circumcision, the sign of circumcision as a sign of a covenant goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant.
1: Yeah, fascinating, which is why a lot of even Jewish believers in Jesus today believe that they should circumcise their kids on the eighth day, not because it's part of the law of Moses— because they know that we're not under the law, but rather because it's connected to Abraham's covenant, which is eternal and ongoing and unconditional. In fact, after Messiah's arrival, he too would be circumcised on the eighth day and presented with the proper sacrifices in Jerusalem's temple. So moving on from John's birth and Zechariah's wonderful praise, let's go to Jesus's mother. The angel Gabriel was not bashful, in relaying the Messiah's utterly Jewish job description to the young Mary. The angel's message to Mary includes the unique duty of Messiah to, quote, reign over the house of Jacob, another name for Israel, and possess, quote, the throne of his father, David. These are tasks, Wes, that only a Jewish man is qualified to do according to everything else that had been written in the scriptures before. And I know I've said this again on the before on the Tove podcast, but if it's not a Jewish Messiah, it's no Messiah at all. We are counting on God's promises to be literal and true when he says that his Messiah would come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then through David,
2: and so on. It's a good point, Levi. Sometimes we'll talk to Jewish people who say, well, you know, Jesus is the Messiah of the Gentiles, Mm. right? We're looking for somebody else. Yeah. You're absolutely right. If he's not the Jewish Messiah, he's nobody's Messiah. Yeah, and
1: I think that's not only important for our Jewish friends to hear and understand, but it's equally important for our Gentile friends, Gentile believers, to hear and understand that we serve the King of the Jews, essentially. So upon hearing Gabriel's news, Mary exalts God and unashamedly declares that God has, quote, helped his servant Israel just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Like Zechariah, Mary was familiar with God's promises to her people. She was a Jewish woman who practiced her faith and was familiar with the writings of the Jewish prophets. In fact, she made several annual pilgrimages to the temple, lived the Jewish religious life that was set according to the law of Moses. Mary would be entrusted by the God of Israel to raise the Godchild in a Jewish home according to Jewish law and with Jewish parents and siblings. If there was ever a Jewish home, Wes, it was the home of the Messiah.
2: Right, and you see that even in their bringing Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day and bringing the, uh, the sacrifice that was commanded in the Torah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, very much following... What God had given to Israel through Moses.
1: Yeah. In fact, it it says in the text that after the days of purification were over, Mm -hmm. they brought the child to the temple. So what's interesting is that if you had a male child, the days of purification lasted about 33 days. So when we read about Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus to the temple complex, we suppose that was about 33 days that they finally arrived at the temple in order to give sacrifices in order to present him because the firstborn is the Lord's not only the firstborn of man and woman but the firstborn of animals as well
2: it's called uh, pidyon haben the redemption of the firstborn mm. and it's a it's a strong custom that's continued on through uh, to today among religious jewish people mm.
1: fascinating the list of jewish attributes found in Luke's birth narrative is extensive time and space Limit the listing of all the plethora of Jewish aspects found in the Gospels or the rest of the New Testament for that matter. We can recognize from just a cursory overview of Luke's account that the story of Jesus is a Jewish story at its core. A Jewish story that is meant to be told, by the way, and told again and again and again to the whole world with a priority. To the Jewish people, why do I say that, Wes?
2: <laughs> well, I don't suppose there have been many Tow podcasts that we haven't gotten Romans one sixteen in. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or Gentile. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and of course, here at Life and Messiah, we are taking that message, and our staff located all over the globe, including digital ministry, are broadcasting that message, are sharing that message. With the Jewish people, with sensitivity, with love, and with boldness.
2: But it only makes sense. It's a Jewish story about a Jewish Savior, the Messiah of Israel. That's right. You mentioned the King of the Jews, right? Yeah. It's interesting when the Magi come, Jesus is an infant, and their question is, where is he who is born King of the Jews? Mm. And when you read the crucifixion narrative, the sign that's placed on the cross is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So from his birth to his death, they were bookended with that title.
1: Wow, that's really good. You know, you brought up the wise men. Let's just touch on them for just a second. Of course, the scriptures only record so much about the wise men. But we know that they came from the East, and clearly they seem to be looking for one born King of the Jews, how likely is it that the wise men were Jewish themselves? I say that because there are writings that suggest that so many Jewish people stayed between the Tigris and the Euphrates, which is the land of the east, to Israel. There were so many Jewish people living there after the Babylonian exile in 586 BC that Jewish people actually started to refer to that area as Israel. We know that, there were religious schools there. We know that study of the Torah and writing continued in in very meaningful ways that would shape Judaism even until today. That's true. So the chances, in my opinion, that these wise men were Jewish men, learned men, coming from the East, seeking out the king of the Jews, I think that's a good chance. I'd, I don't see why Gentiles would be coming from that area. It's possible. We'll not know for sure on this side of heaven. But I submit to you that it's likely the wise men were Jewish themselves. It's no surprise to you that the biblical texts mention nothing of Christmas trees, reindeer, Black Friday sales, pop holiday songs, or Santa Claus. Rather, Luke's birth motif is the arrival of Of the long awaited Jewish Messiah via a miraculous birth who has been sent from God to deliver people from sin. It's a story of God's redemption for His glory for Israel and the Gentiles. This Christmas season, will you join me in remembering the birth of the Jewish Messiah as well as His Jewish people? God worked through the Jewish people to bring about His Son's arrival to write down the christmas events the jewish people were used by god to preserve those writings over millennia and then god used the jewish people to share the good news with the gentiles precious israel is quote the apple of god's eye zechariah 28 and god's desire is for their salvation it was the same desire that paul expressed In Romans chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, when Paul said, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, the Jewish people, is for their salvation. Paul says, I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Wes, what's the knowledge that Paul's referring to there that most Jewish people in the world today are lacking?
2: Well, there's a considerable percentage of Jewish people who are not really connected to their own book, to the scriptures. So to assume that a Jewish friend that I'm talking with understands what God's plan is, what his purposes are, what his prophetic word says, is probably an assumption that we ought to avoid. But I think it's more than just the head knowledge. He's not just talking about, you know, facts, because there are many religious Jewish people. I would say. I've studied under some professors who, whose knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures and the original language is far exceeding anything that I'll ever grasp. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the head knowledge. It's the heart knowledge. It's the difference between knowing about the Lord and knowing the Lord. Yeah. Uh, we talk about the 18 inches or 16 inches, uh, whatever, between the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what he's talking about. And, and I love the fact that in... The record that we read earlier in Luke 1, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. Mm. There's this idea that Israel as the chosen people are the people of God, and that's absolutely true. But we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that because they're God's chosen, that that means that they're all chosen for salvation. And just because you have a Jewish mom means you're going to spend eternity with the God of Israel. Right. Um, this, this idea of my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And Jeremiah saying that day no longer will someone say to their neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. That's the the ministry of John the Baptist was to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord. That's mm-hmm. why there was a remnant of people who were, who were being baptized for repentance even before Jesus came. Yeah. And that's, that's our heartbeat at Life of Messiah is... We are we know the message is true. We know that the Messiah has come. And we know that there are Jewish people who don't even know about the gospel story. They've never heard a true presentation of the gospel. And sadly, there are many people who have had contact with Christians, but their view of what Christianity is is not reflective of what the Bible teaches. Yeah. So that's one of the greatest greatest challenges that we have as believers is to demonstrate the love of Jesus so that a Jewish person will be willing to reconsider what they think they know yes. about who Yeshua is. Yeah,
1: I think one of the greatest things we can do is simply get people in the Word. If we can, you know, just um, ask our Jewish friends if they would be willing to read the introduction to the New Testament, which most Jewish people are so surprised that it is so Jewish, it's filled with Jewish names And uh, most people are surprised by that because some Jewish people have been told that the New Testament is a very Gentile document and that Jesus is for the Gentiles, as you mentioned earlier. But as we can see from just a cursory overview of Luke's birth narrative today, it is a Jewish story through and through with a Jewish Messiah at its center. That's
2: why you love seeing some of those videos that are posted on the Life of Messiah website or In Search of Shalom, where you find Jewish people who, for the first time, Uh, have read the new Testament and find out, Oh, what this is really a Jewish book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in conclusion, Wes, may our mindset be the same as Simeon when Mary and Joseph brought their little baby Jesus into the temple. It was Simeon who was there. Simeon was righteous and devout looking forward to Israel's consolation upon seeing him in the temple. Simeon cradled Jesus in his arms and declared, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people,
2: Israel. Amen.
1: Will you join me in praying for the Jewish people to come to believe in the one who has the starring role in this miraculous, very Jewish, Christmas story. Well, thanks so much, Wes, for joining us at the Tove Podcast again. And uh, if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere else you get your podcasts, or head on over to lifeandmessiah.org and click on the Tove Podcast tab. I'd like to thank all of our volunteers for joining us today for our live recording of the Tove Podcast. May you have a blessed Christmas and a wonderful New Year. From all of us at Life and Messiah, Shalom.